Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into clients. Now, here's the founder and CEO of 10 Golden Rules, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time this podcast finds you, welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. My guest today is attorney Jason Melton. We've got some great stuff to talk about, so let's just get right into it. Jason, welcome, and tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Um, Well, I've been a lawyer for over 20 years now. I grew up in Texas, went to law school in the D.C. area at Catholic, and I took on my first job as a prosecutor in Miami. And that first job really sort of molded almost everything I've done up till now. Um, it's incredible, like the things you learn in those first couple of years and how it affects all the decisions you make uh, moving forward. You know, starting at the state attorney's office in Miami is really interesting because you start with like 50 people, right? It's not <laughs> like you got a job, at, you know, some office where the, you know, like you're the one person they hired that year. You start with 50 people. So it's almost like going to another college or another class, right? And so like those people are friends or colleagues or or some sort of relationship for the rest of your life. And then from those people, they're just like trees of new people. And for someone who didn't go to law school in Florida, that was super important because I knew essentially nobody down here. Right. So um, but that job is a great job. I think for young lawyers, I don't. I don't really believe there's a better job than being a prosecutor or a public defender in either the state or federal jurisdiction. I know there are more esteemed jobs like clerking for judges um, and these sorts of things. And for some of those really, really, really bright people who are great writers and will probably never have to waste their time maybe speaking to a client, um, then I guess those are great jobs for them. But for, ever, for the rest of us who need to deal with people and need to work on client skills, and you know, because we don't. You, they don't teach that in law school um, and learn to develop skills in the courtroom in particular. They're the best jobs because you're essentially doing the government's work, right? If you're a public defender, you're helping people defend themselves where they couldn't otherwise afford a lawyer. And if you're a prosecutor, you're helping the government prosecute cases um, in court for really reduced wages. I would highlight reduced. And is that why they start with 50? Because it calls itself out pretty quickly? I well, I think in Miami they start with fifty because they just have like I mean they're arresting over a hundred thousand people you know uh, a year just for misdemeanors, not let alone everything else. Like they, wow. the demand down there is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, I think that there's a lot of turnover, right? Because they have limitations on what they can pay people because of their budgets. And so for me, it's like go to law school, but then you should sign up for two to two and a half, three years of of public service. Because it'll help you for the rest of your career. So, you know, after working down there for only um, a little bit of time, I had so much trial experience that I was well ahead of the game in terms of understanding um, the X's and O's of handling a case and moving a case all the way to verdict. Um, and even doing some appellate work while I was down there. And, you know, for a lot of these folks that get hired at like what they call good paying jobs, they don't get a lot of experience because they're kind of playing a lot of gopher. For an older lawyer so you know 
Um, if you were broke like me and don't know the difference between being broke and poor, then it's a great way to go. And if you're okay with being broke because you're actually rich and you can afford to be broke, then it's a great way to go. I think the folks in the middle, those decisions are a little harder. I think people want to pat themselves on the back for taking these jobs when they're already broke. Honestly, it really wasn't that big of a stretch. I was, I was already, I was already broke. So <laughs> to have just enough to live by again for another couple of years, it, you know, wasn't that much of an extension. But I was certainly ready to get out of there when I was because it was, it's, it's very hard to, you know, sustain a, a living that you're happy with. But awesome, awesome educational background. Um, and then basically, the next steps for me are sort of a blueprint of everything I've done. And what I say that is, is the next thing I did is my now partner and I, who were prosecutors together, decided to open a practice literally in the middle of the state in a, in a postal coast, not even a city, um, still isn't, in Hernando County in Spring Hill, Florida. The firm is called Whittle & Melton. And, you know, it was like everybody was rushing to, towards the cities, and we went out into the middle of the state. And As a, that was a conscious decision? Well, somewhat, yeah. My partner was running for Congress, and we sort of along the way realized as he's running for Congress, hey, we're probably not going to win this race because I'd taken off a leave of absence to help him. And, you know, I was like, hey, we should stay here and practice law. All the lawyers here are essentially older folks, and they're not super aggressive. They're not hustling, looking for cases, looking to help people. And I was like, we should stay. And so it was a conscious decision after I got there and realized kind of what was going on. And to that point, like, you know, I was super involved in, um, you know, internet marketing way before other lawyers where I've been blogging since 2005, but I was doing it from the middle of the state. And so that gave me an advantage on top of an advantage, right? Because of uh, the location of where I was from. And, you know, through that, like, I was able to amass, you know, reputational sort of advantage over other lawyers my age because they were in Tampa or Miami or Orlando competing with literally, you know, 70, 80 years of marketing. You know, Florida's a relatively newer state, right? Versus where I'm at, where I was, I was dealing with nothing. I was basically creating, creating the, the platform, right? Now, lots of people are in our area advertising, but you know, there was a time when it was me and not not too many other folks, you know? Yeah. yeah. I guess for a long time, people didn't advertise in an area. They didn't want to go to the court there. So That's correct. And that was people out. Now it's so much more virtual. Well, yeah. The pandemic, you know, had some interesting effects. That was one of them, is that people felt fancy free about taking cases 250 miles away from their office because they figured, well, I'll just show up via Zoom. And before I can remember conversations, I'm not taking a case there. There's no highway to that courthouse. Right. And <laughs> right. I remember conversations about building highways and people would say, is there any way we can talk to the legislature about building that highway so that it doesn't connect to the courthouse? So it's just a little more difficult for folks from the big cities to come up to the courthouse. <laughs> which is crazy. Out of your market. So yeah, it's a crazy the evolution of the firm and how you built the firm and, and where you're at now. Yeah. So basically my partner and I figured out early on, hey, listen, a lot of the lawyers that are making waves appear to be doing personal injury. And personal injury is pretty close to what we were doing as prosecutors because we were working on behalf of victims in many cases, right? 
And I didn't know how to do it. So I immediately took a job with a local personal injury lawyer and, and worked there um, for two years. My partner set up his own practice doing criminal defense. Um, we worked together on some criminal matters. And then after I felt like I had learned enough that I was ready to go out on my own, my partner and I decided to, you know, create a partnership and, and create a firm. And, you know, so I've been, he, he and I have been working together essentially since about 2006, seven. And formally, I think our corporation was formed in 2009. We had like an affiliation of professional associations. We were sharing space, sharing the work. And then we said, hey, let's just make this a firm, right? And it's been, you know, it's been interesting. We've got, uh, I think we, along with up councils, I think we have nine or 10 or 11 lawyers. We've got staff here domestically and we have staff in Mexico, which I can talk about in a minute. And it's been terrific. We've tried different things. We, we tried doing employment law for a while, which I still love as a practice area. I just hate that I'm in Florida doing it. It's not the greatest uh, circuit to be doing employment law. Uh, what I mean by circuit is many of uh, federal, many, many, most of employment law is sort of governed by uh, case law that comes out of the federal courts and the 11th circuit is quite conservative. Um, whereas let's say I was in New York, um, you've got more interesting rulings and the state government, of course, weighs in on that as well. And Florida is a conservative state. Um, you've got a conservative uh, circuit, as I mentioned, it's not the greatest place to do employment law, but I, you know, we still take the cases if they're, you know, situated just right. But we have really just focused on criminal defense and personal injury and wrongful death cases. And in many respects, you know, my partner and I have basically managed those two areas uh, within our firm. And we've been very successful doing it, um, had some great verdicts, some great results. And, you know, it's somewhat of a challenge because we're in a conservative area of the state. So our juries are less apt to open up the wallet. Um, but with the right case and sort of the right uh, situation and positioning of the case, you can get a great result. Just a couple months ago, we got uh, $4.7 million on a case that the first offer was $47,000. So, and that's, you know, it, it's, that's not every case, but point is, is, is uh, you know, when you, you pick your battles correctly, I think you can get. Can you tell the story of that case? Like how, how did that evolve? Uh, sure. I mean, um, I, I can speak in generalities. It's a, it was a head on DUI collision family was in the car and um, essentially uh, they were injured. Um, they had, uh, a lot of sort of the normal injuries that would occur in a head-on collision, some of them ended up being surgical with regards to their neck and back. Um, but the biggest component of those cases were brain injuries. And so we had to work really hard to get these folks uh, in front of people who could work with them, rehabilitate them, as well as diagnose them. And, um, you know, because the case went on so long, that was that was the toughest and and in terms of value, maybe the best part of the case that you could watch you watch these injuries really affect your own clients right um and the two clients in particular in that case that were of note one was a retired clerk from the courthouse yeah and one was a retired deputy and they were married and um they were basically like your civil servants people that you like we hope that we live next door to right yeah. and you could see some decline and the way they spoke to each other, the way they spoke to therapists. Um, but for me, it was the way they spoke to us um, and the way they handled us. And 
I have a child who's uh, autistic and ADHD on the spectrum. And so I've had to learn sort of the hard way, having no experience in it, of dealing with people who need a little extra help and need a little empathy. And it's kind of helped me in practice of law, too, because these folks with brain injuries, you got to take a deep breath before you talk to them and deal with them because you don't know what version you're going to get. You don't know what's going to set them off. And you know deep down they're not interested in being, you know, the odd man out. Um, They have... but life comes at them differently after an accident like this, right? So it's uh, it's one of these cases that candidly shouldn't have taken four years uh, to get resolved. Um, but uh, the insurance companies involved thought otherwise and felt like it was something they wanted to put their put their flag down and and take a stand on, and they did not choose wisely. Yeah, well, congratulations. It sounds like you got the right verdict and, and helped some folks out. Yeah. Um, you know, it, th- this episode will come out late December, early January. Now, it's ever evergreen, so someone hopefully is listening to this in 2025, 2026. Give Jason yes. a shout-out. But if you do listen to it when it comes out, talk about annual planning because it's a theme we've been talking about a lot the last couple of weeks. How do you guys set a plan for the year and what are two or three of the key things that a firm that's getting started and wants to grow to your size should do in terms of setting a plan? Well, I appreciate the the comment about the timing of this episode and and when people might hear it. Uh, The first thing I'll say is if you're doing annual planning in December, unfortunately, it's probably too late. In December, I think the best you can do is go buy stuff right? So that you can reduce your tax burden. The planning really needs to occur probably August, September, maybe even October. But there's lots of things. One of the things early on uh, we did as a firm is we went and bought a building. I think it's a super, super important strategic thing that all all firms need to do. Um, People might say, oh my gosh, that's such an investment, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if you're serious about advertising, you're going to spend way over the value of that building moving forward, right? Yeah. Um, I say building because I'm in Central Florida where we have space, but you could be in a larger city and you could, you know, buy a flat or or whatever it is. But discontinuing the requirement of paying rents that are out of your control and having a landlord that's out of your control um, is an important factor. You have eliminated so many new emergencies from your life and your business life that don't need to be there by simply acquiring uh, your own uh, property, right? I think also it's, I mean, it's a good decision tax-wise too. One of the things that we were, we we're fortunate is because we're in, in Spring Hill, Florida, which is in Hernando County, that's where our home office is. We were uh, in an area that, that was available for SBA funding. So to the extent that you can get SBA funding because of either your individual status or where you're wanting to buy, then avail yourself of that funding as well. That's what it's there for. And, you know, all these, this is like, uh, to me, these are like super important activities that should, should occur probably in the first, I'd say, three to five years of, of you know, because that first couple of years, you're not sure, is this business going to work, whatever, whatever. But once you start to put your roots down, go get yourself a piece of real estate. Um, you know, it's an asset. If things happen with your firm, you can do things with the asset. You can transfer ownership. You can sell it. All sorts of things. But there's so many advantages in buying a building. 
Um, the other thing that I think is super important when planning is labor. Um, you know, unfortunately, we probably are working right now in one of the worst labor markets in the United States. Well, it's the worst one that I've experienced uh, as an adult. And I can only imagine in comparison with others and talking to older people, it's one of the worst in a long time. And why why do I say it's the worst? Well, it's not because of the wages. I mean, yeah, do, are we paying more for, for labor than we were before? Sure, but we're paying more for a lot of things. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's not really going to move the needle that much. The issue, though, is the quality and the productivity of the labor. And right now you have a generation of younger folks who went, who grew up in the shadow of 9-11, a horrible recession, wars, uh, and the pandemic. And they frankly are not motivated like you and I were coming out of school and wanting to work, show a good, uh, you know, face, showing up early, doing the extra effort, all those things, essentially creating a career path. Career paths are not a goal right now. Um, there, I don't, it's not, it's not so much the YOLO generation, but there's a lot of that, you know, if it doesn't feel good right now, go do something else. Um, and we experienced a lot of that in the, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, to the point where I got so frustrated with it. I was replacing the same positions. I was training in the same positions and I wasn't getting that, that, get up out of bed, show up before everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> what else can I do? Extra question. Those people weren't around anymore, which puts you in a, in a bad position. You're either overpaying for younger people who aren't producing work, or you're having to really uh, break out the checkbook for older employees who are experienced and do a good job, but like you're grossly overpaying for their services because you need to keep them on because there's nobody else. Or the junior roles, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I was talking to a friend of a friend and I, I hooked up with this guy in Monterey, Mexico, who does a lot of employment HR uh, work for larger American companies. And I said, hey, listen, what do you think about working with a small law firm like, my, like mine? And um, could you help me find a couple of paralegals to work remotely, right? And his response, I'll never forget it, is, Jason, why would you hire paralegals in Mexico? to do paralegal work in the United States. And I couldn't understand the question why he would ask that because obviously I want, I want to hire the position to fill. Yeah. So I want to hire the right thing. He's like, you have such a currency advantage. Why don't you hire better for the same role? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, why don't you hire lawyers to do legal assistant work? And I was like, wow, do you think they'll do that? He goes, of course, if you pay them. He's like, it's an honor to work for an American law firm. And if you pay them and train them properly, they would love to do it. And so we went down this path, and for two years, I didn't tell anybody about it. I did it. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Um, we, we've been now working with uh, virtual assistants in Mexico for four years. We have graphic artists. We have video editors. Um, we have uh, uh, folks who work in the pre-suit area, so they're um, you know, working with the insurance companies and health providers to make sure that the records are up to date. Um, the, we have folks working in litigation, uh, drafting different parts of our litigation, like our lawsuits and our discovery. We probably haven't drafted a lawsuit that wasn't first drafted in Mexico in several years. It's Sorry. amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how much work you can get done when some of that first level work is done elsewhere. 
Um, now, people yeah, are like, oh, this is great because you're, you're not paying them that much. But the issue is not what you're paying them. Yeah, you're making great savings by by paying them way less than you would in America. But the issue is the quality because you're dealing with much smarter people because they're better educated, better trained than what you would hire in America. So when I'm training someone to help me in litigation who, you know, maybe went to high school or graduated high school or maybe went to paralegal college in America versus someone who went to law school and has maybe even practiced law, when I train that person, that person is going to be better equipped to learn the material faster, I think. And so it's a real advantage. Yeah. What, what I was interested in is you've actually turned this into a business. And yeah. it sounds so great, but the good news is you've made it available to other attorneys. And yeah. So tell so us a little bit about, about that evolution. What's the name of the business and how can, uh, what, what type of positions are available for other companies to hire? Yeah. So about two years ago, I just said to my partner down there, I said, listen, I, I'm talking to lawyers all over the country all the time because of the different mastermind groups and, and associations I'm with. They're having the same problems I'm having. We should start selling this service and let's create a business. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so the name of the business is Regents Remote Services. You can find us online at regentsrsregentsrs.com. And we can fill basically every need in an office, not just law firms, any business, but from intake to legal assistant to graphic design, video editing. We have a medical doctor on staff who can summarize records and provide insight to what's going on uh, medically by reviewing charts. They're not going to practice medicine, obviously, but um, they can review records. Um, having someone on, like that on salary is, is a major advantage. You know, like my calls right now in my, in my law firm during the day are all answered in Mexico. We still have a night service and weekend service, but they're answered in Mexico. Um, and, you know, a lot of people hire call services and you're essentially hiring your name and your portfolio to go into a data bank of, you know, maybe a thousand other companies for the same 50 people to answer those calls. Those receptionists are never going to get any better with your calls. Whereas in my office, I have four people, all they only answer my calls. Every week they get better at what they do. They get better with understanding what the caller's needs are. Um, they communicate with my office um, in an improved way every week because that's all they're doing, right? And their English is great, right? Terrific. Yeah. So we do most of our most of our people we staff out of Monterey. Monterey is a, probably the most American of the Mexican industrialized cities. It's not too far from the border, but just about every American business is down there in, in one way or another in manufacturing and, and other outfits. And the just the culture down there is very Americanized. Like all of our food is there, all of our TV is there, our entertainment is there. They watch NFL. It's not like Mexico City. It's not like you know Cancun. This is yeah. It's a very industrial town that some people refer to as like Pittsburgh of of, uh, <laughs> of Mexico. It's a really cool town, uh, really cool people. That's and great. what's nice about it too is, you know, the alternatives for virtual staffing um, are basically like uh, the Philippines, India. You're not getting on a plane and going to see those people ever. Um, and certainly they'll they'll crush us on price. But I think the quality and the cultural connections to America being so close to the border and basically involving themselves in our in our in our culture make them better representatives for anyone's company. Um, you can go to South America a little bit too, but you know Monterey, there's like twenty seven flights a day in the United States from Monterey. I could be there tonight after doing this interview if I wanted to. It's not a big deal. 
it's that's awesome. So direct flight and, from uh, many cities. You touched on the mastermind. I know that's been a big part of your your life and your evolution. Uh, talk yeah. a little bit about you know your mastermind and the power of the mastermind for an attorney. Yeah, so I'll address the last part first. For me, my mastermind uh, meetings are like therapy because <laughs> one of the problems with being a personal injury lawyer is that you can't really talk about everything in your community because you're essentially going to be speaking to your competitors in one way or another, either through someone or directly. And so we hold so many, so much information close to the vest. A lot of us uh, owners don't even talk to our associates about how we do marketing and where we do marketing and which marketing has the best ROI because we know that some of these associates might end up being competitors at some point. Um, and it's a really strange world that we work in. And I know some people have had success uh, going into like BNI and some of these groups. But the problem with BNI, again, is that these are all local folks who they have friendships with other folks too. Getting in a mastermind, especially one that's on a national scale, where you can have meetings with people who, who do exactly what you do, but don't do it in your area, and in many respects, don't even do it in your state. It's, I mean, it's like a, the hot shower that you were looking for and didn't know you needed it. It's wonderful because they're having the same problems you're having. A lot of times they've had the problem that you're having and they've resolved it and they tell you how they resolved it. Um, and then you also get a group of people to 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 brainstorm how to fix something uh, for you coming from the same vantage point that you have because they run a similar type of firm. And in doing that, I've had relationships all over the country. I, I joined PILMA in 2016 or 17 and I've never stopped. Uh, it's been one of the very best business decisions I've ever made. I've, I'm also uh, currently the president of and founding member of the National Academy of Motorcycle Injury Lawyers. And that's a secondary mastermind that I'm in as well. And through that, I've met all types of lawyers um, throughout the country as well. And through those two networks, it is, uh, you know, I don't sit around and wonder as much what might work and what might be a good idea in my firm. I really, because I come away with, you know, eight to 10 really good ideas at every meeting for each of those groups. Like, I don't need to wonder and guess and throw money at the wall and hope some of it sticks. I can, I can talk to people who have had things work before, and the odds of those things working for me are incredibly enhanced, which makes the value of the membership incredible. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I've been very fortunate to join a mastermind called Seven Figure Agency. And there's a, a, about 300 agencies that are a member of this group. And then there's about 20 of us who are in the what, what we call the Titans, the elite. But the, the what we share with each other is, is best practices, what's working for us. And yeah. then, like you said, if you've got a question, we have an online forum. You just ask, and, and five okay. or six other folks have gone through exactly what you've gone through. Uh, you know, picking a software, yeah. a hiring issue, a staffing issue, a, a legal issue. You know, it's just fantastic, the feedback yeah. you get. And then you and go to these mastermind meetings and the energy you come back with, the ideas you come back with. Yeah. The hard part is picking, you know, I always try and pick the top three things to do because uh, I've got a list of 20 things I want to do. Yeah, so I, I, I should have noted, I come away with eight to 10 things to do. I usually only accomplish two, maybe three. Right. But nevertheless, I don't have to go search for them. I don't have to go to a Tony Robbins like 
you know, pump up the jam thing downtown for two days and get excited and then try to figure out what to do. I'm, it's just real world advice. And, you know, the therapy part of it is that, you know, you're not crazy when you go to those meetings, right? You know that what you're going through, it's not that unique. Other folks are doing it too. There's no reason to get hysterical about your stuff. You know, I think sometimes we get in our own little cacophony and we don't realize that a lot of the stuff we're going through, other folks are going through it too. And that's, it's, it's a, it's a somewhat of a breakthrough to find those groups where you can talk to these people and they're, they're just as willing to talk to you as you are them. We're going to do a webinar on masterminds. I hope Ken Hardison will participate from Pelma and yeah. Ben Glass from GLM and Arjun from How to Manage and, and yeah. we'll really have a really great session. So look for that early in the new year. We've got invitations out. Um, just a couple quick questions, Jason. I know you got to run. These, we call these our quick snappers or whatever. Sure. Give us a couple apps or techniques you use for personal productivity. So for me, within my, uh, I've, you know, because I'm affiliated with a lot of different businesses, one of the great um, business apps that I've come across is something called PipeDrive. I, mean, I think it's terrific. I think it's really good. I don't hear it mentioned very often. That's why. Yeah, I, I think it. it's the second time I've heard that. Tell us about it. It's just basically like a an interface to help you with following up on leads, cust good customer service, be it if you're selling something to somebody or if you're just making sure people are happy. I mean, at the end of the day, so much of what everybody does, whether we like it or not, it just boils down to customer service. And so I really like it as an ongoing way to manage your own ability to serve your customers. Yeah. And is it an app or is it a people, you know, you access people? No, it's an app. Yeah. So you put in your own information. It's not, it's not yeah. a social network. Like a CRM essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as, it's not as developed as like my CRM and my website, yeah. but in my, in my uh, law firm, but it's, yeah, it's basically like a CRM. Terrific. Best business books. So I, I'm a bad person for this question because <laughs> I, I don't read books. I haven't read books uh, since college. I read a lot of magazines and newspapers. Yeah. So I, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal almost every day. And then I read a lot on Instagram. People may know me uh, from Instagram. I have a lot of followers. Yeah, and, you were up to like 150,000, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, how, it was tell us about Instagram. What do you do on there and, and how did you build it up? So the reason I went on Instagram is I wanted to diversify my client base because where my main office is, we have an older client base. And I was like, I need to get younger. So where are the younger people? So I went to Instagram and I just started shooting videos. In the beginning, my videos weren't that great. Certainly the quality was bad. And through my agency in Mexico, I hired a video editor. And now I send him the content. He edits it. He sends it back to me. If I like it, I, I publish it. If not, I fix it and publish it. We're able to produce lots of content. Um, I'm able to, I basically post every day and our content is as good as anybody else's on Instagram. And it's not a terribly you know, difficult process because I have that editor in Mexico. What content works the best? Yeah, so that's interesting. So first of all, the content that works the best is when you're just being yourself. Why does it work the best? Not because it's maybe the most entertaining, but it works the best because you're being yourself and that's a really important part of the process. The reason it's important is because you're being yourself, you can create new content very quickly because you're just being yourself. 
a lot of times, like you and I grew up in the era of like the Crazy Eddie TV commercials. You know, I'm crazy. Everything's going on sale. Yeah. And you see people on Instagram and some of these TikTok and they're dancing and they're doing these things. The problem with that is, yeah, it's very entertaining and you can bust out maybe 10, 15 videos, but like that's not sustaining. You can't do that all year long. If you're literally just yourself, you can you can create two, three, four, five, six pieces of content a day. It's not a big deal. And if you have an editor, you can chop that up as many different ways as you want. So I think being authentic, not as a catchphrase, but more as just an issue of instrumentality, it's the only way to do those things for long-standing uh, success is just be yourself because that's going to give you the ability to keep producing content. And I, I set out to get younger clients, but what happened is my Instagram is mostly successful for getting referrals <laughs> from other lawyers. I don't know. It's not, it was not my intent. Yeah. Um, maybe because I'm just being myself that maybe I speak in a way that other professionals want to hear. I don't know. Um, but I have not gotten a bunch of young people to hire us because of my uh, Instagram uh, noteworthiness. But I have had created a lot of relationships, quite literally, through Instagram. Um, awesome. And that, was, that makes it well worth it. And what uh, blogs, podcasts, YouTubes, or other Instagrammers do you follow? I, I really like, um, there's two lawyers I really like on Instagram. Uh, there's a lawyer in Los Angeles called Lawyer Dad. And there's a lawyer in New York, Kyle Newman. I think they do the best on Instagram. I think they produce really good content. It's thoughtful. It's not the same. You know, one thing I will say in the last two years that that I have really noticed is people are, I think, are just now starting to appreciate the value of LinkedIn. And I think for any of the folks watching this you know, podcast is think about what you're doing on LinkedIn. And I, and I, and I can say admittedly, I don't do enough on LinkedIn, but the work I do on LinkedIn is very fruitful. It's worthwhile. So if you're putting together a social media marketing strategy, think about including LinkedIn, especially if you're a lawyer, but even if you run any kind of business, I just, I think it's invaluable. I think the audience there is really good. It's the fastest way to get in front of your peers without a doubt. And I just think it's it's really worthwhile and people should should spend more time on it. I do think like I think TikTok, uh, this may be the last year of TikTok. I could I could foresee Congress doing something there. I think Instagram is a little more safe. It's domestic. Yeah, um, put your time into Instagram. It might I, make, make sense. Two last questions. Who's your NFL team? Oh, I'm a Browns fan for sure. I'm a, I'm a huge Cleveland Browns fan. It's a struggle. It's not the easiest team to follow. Hasn't been a straight line. <laughs> I'm, we're on we're on our fourth quarterback yeah. this year, but yeah, you get some uh, you get some flare ups over the last uh, ten or twenty years. Oh yeah. Now, where can people get in touch with you? So you can certainly contact me at my law firm, Whittle and Melton. The web address for the firm is the FL Law Firm. That's T H E F L L A W F I R M dot com. So the FL Law Firm. Or you can contact me through Regents, uh, which is regentsrs.com either of those businesses i'll be happy to, to work with you and of course through instagram you can uh, dm me uh jason melton esquire I'd be happy to chat with you there but you know I, i'm i've gotten to the point now where i feel like a lot of early years we were so hell-bent on trying to create our own secret sauce and compete and compete and compete 
And I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten to the point now where I feel like my secret sauce is sharing. It's no longer competing. And through sharing, I'm actually more prosperous than I was competing before, which is an odd thing to say, but we're still competitive. But I love helping people. And if people need help, I mean, I, I take random calls from lawyers around the country all the time, and it's, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for your time. This was full of awesome stuff. Sure. And let's uh, stay in touch. Who's your NFL team? <laughs> Dolphins. I, uh, I I came here from Canada. Nice. I was, you know, team agnostic. I, you know, had some allegiances. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're 20 years somewhere. And the water cooler talk was always about who we, who we acquired and our new coach. And yeah. I'm fully in. And thank God we're having a, a fantastic year finally. Uh, the team is it's really good. I really like the team. And your coach is what a gem. Yeah, Mike McDaniels is great. So uh, if anybody's team kind of sucks and you're not going to make the playoffs, you know, feel free to hop on the bandwagon for the rest of the year and watch Hard Knocks on HBO. This season is fantastic. Yeah, terrific. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Jay, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. Please send questions and comments to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That is podcast at 10goldenrules.com.